The sermon text today is again Genesis 2, 24 through 25. The New Testament reading is John 15, 1 through 16. John 15, 1 through 16. I should remind you that not only are we in a sermon series through the book of Genesis, but we have camped out here on these two verses for a period of time uh, to deal with the subject of marriage. Uh, the marriage relationship is introduced for the very first time in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, and so we are in a series within a series on the subject of marriage. Let's give ourselves now to the reading of God's most holy word. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now let us go to the New Testament reading, which is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 16, which if we pay careful attention to this passage, it's not hard to recognize that in a sense it has nothing to do at all with marriage. In another sense, it has everything to do with marriage. Uh, The point of the sermon today will be this, that marriages will thrive when husband and wife are pursuing holiness in Christ Jesus. That is one of the points that is made. And here in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 16, we are urged to pursue holiness in Christ Jesus. Here Christ speaks and says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, Jesus says. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So far the reading of God's holy word. We pray that the Lord would bless the preaching of it as well, and also as we labor to apply the word, may the Lord help us in this. Brothers and sisters, this is the third sermon in this series within a series on the subject of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And in this sermon, I would like to focus in upon the subject of entering into marriage. How should a person prepare to enter into the marriage relationship? We've already devoted two sermons to answering the question, what is marriage? And in the weeks to come, We will address the marriage relationship itself as we asked, how can we have a healthy marriage and a successful one? And finally, we will address the difficult and rather unpleasant subject of divorce and remarriage. 
and truly the word of God is a light unto our feet in all these matters, and so to the word of God uh, we must go. But today I wish to offer some brief remarks concerning the subject of entering into marriage. My objective is to help those who hope to marry in the future uh, to prepare well for the marriage relationship beginning even now. Now, I realize that by introducing the sermon in this way, I have uh, made it possible for some to assume that this sermon will have nothing at all to do with uh, them. Uh, Those who are young, very young, to them it might seem as if entering into marriage is a very, very long way off. And to the young, I would say, uh, little brother or little sister, time does move very quickly. Uh, Your wedding day might be here before you know it, and so you'd better start preparing for it now. Please listen uh, to what is said in this brief sermon. And to those who are married now, Uh, They might be thinking, how can a sermon on the subject of entering into marriage possibly be for me, given that I've already entered into it? But let me ask you two questions. One, do you have children, or do you have plan to have children in the future? Uh, If so, please understand that their wedding day might be here before you know it. Uh, One of your responsibilities as a parent is to prepare your children for marriage, whether or not it be the Lord's will for them. Now, this is something that we really do need to remember as parents. Our, our objective as parents is not to hold on to our children forever, but to raise them so that we also might release them to establish their own households. Do you think about that, parents, uh, very often? Your, your, your goal here is not just to keep your children young and little forever. Sometimes parents say that. I wish you could stay little forever. Um, And I don't mind that you say it. We understand what you mean by it. But truly, that is not our objective, to keep them little forever or to keep them a part of our household. Our responsibility is to raise them so that they will be mature adults and able to go off and to establish households of their own. Did you hear the sermon text for today? Therefore, a man shall do what? Leave his father and his mother and hold fast to or cling to someone else, his wife. And they together we will become one flesh, and they are to establish their own household. This is what the scriptures teach. And so may the Lord use this brief sermon to help parents help their children prepare well for the marriage relationship. And two, I would say to those who are married now, would you be willing to consider that perhaps in some ways you entered into your marriage ill-prepared? I don't want you to be discouraged by this. Instead, my desire is that having recognized that what was lacking in the preparation process, perhaps, you would now work to remedy uh, as you listen to these teachings. May the Lord be pleased to use the sermon on entering into marriage, even to those who are, uh, married, in, who are married now. And still, there are others who are single now and do not plan to marry, or who are married now but do not have children in the home. And to you, I would simply say, would you rejoice that these truths are being taught within our community and pray for those who are to wed in the future, that they would prepare for marriage and enter into this holy union well and to the glory of our covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. Also, I do trust and pray that plenty of principles will be put forth in this sermon that you will be able to pick up and make them your own, though they may not apply to you in exactly the same way that they will apply to the one who is preparing for or helping their children prepare for marriage in the future. So, Enough of me trying to convince everyone to listen to the sermon. We do need to get on with it. How should a person prepare for marriage? What should a Christian think and do now so that he or she might enter into the marriage relationship if it be God's will for them to marry? 
well-equipped and ready to thrive in it to the glory of God. The first thing that I would like to say is that we should pursue holiness and maturity in Christ in the whole of life. We should pursue holiness and maturity in Christ in all uh, that we think and say and do. This is important to do now and not when the marriage relationship finally comes. And this is the most important thing that you can do now in preparation for the marriage relationship. I am assuming, of course, that you are already in Christ I suppose the very first thing I could have said in this sermon thing, series, or in this sermon, is trust in Christ. That is the first thing you need to do. But I am assuming that that has already taken place, that you have believed upon Christ, that you have confessed your sins to Him, that you have held out your hands to Christ, saying, Lord, I am nothing without you. Please be my Lord and Savior. Uh, take control of my life. But after that, I am saying, pursue holiness and maturity in Christ in all that you are, in the whole of life, and all that you think, say, and do. This is the very best thing you can do to prepare for marriage. You say, well, that has nothing at all to do with marriage, does it? Well, yes, it does. It has everything to do with marriage. In fact, those who are living holy and godly lives before marriage are probably going to experience success in the marriage a relationship. And so pursue holiness and maturity in Christ in all that you think. In all that you think. Uh, pursue knowledge now. Uh, learn God's word now. Learn sound doctrine now. Uh, learn what the Bible has to say, not only about the subject of marriage, that is important, and indeed we will deal with uh, passages of Scripture that deal particularly with the topic of marriage, but pursue knowledge more broadly. Uh, learn sound doctrine, indeed God's word in its entirety is to be a light unto your feet. Indeed, sound doctrine will be of benefit to you in the whole of life, including in the marriage relationship if you have it. And so pursue it. If you are young and if you are hoping to marry in the future, I am saying to you, study God's word. Learn good doctrine. Learn good theology. I might also put it this way to you. Pursue wisdom. Now, there is the book of the Bible that is packed, filled with wisdom. It is the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you've ever read it. I would encourage you to make it your habit to read the book of Proverbs regularly. It's amazing when folks come and they say, we are struggling with this aspect of our marriage relationship. How often the book of Proverbs comes up, you know. We're struggling with communication. Well, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about communication, how to talk, how to speak to the glory of God. We're struggling with finances. The book of Proverbs says a lot about money, doesn't it? Uh, we're struggling with this or that. Well, God's Word has the wisdom for us that we need uh, to deal with the various difficulties of life. And so pursue knowledge, but also pursue wisdom now. Don't wait until you are married to do it, but build a solid foundation for your life now by giving attention to God's Word. I would also say that it's important for you to cultivate purity of thought. You'll notice that this little phrase uh, comes up often in our worship services. It's become something that is uh, stated often in our home in family prayers. Uh, this concept that we are to honor God in thought, in word, in, in, and in deed. Not only are we to pursue holiness with what we do, but also we're to pursue holiness with our speech. And even more than that, we're to pursue holiness in our minds. The things that we think about are to give glory to God. And so we must cultivate purity of thought. Uh, do it now is what I am saying. And doing it now will help you to be well prepared for marriage if it is the Lord's will for you in the, in the future. Uh, pursue holiness and maturity in Christ in all that you say also. And all that you say, I wonder, have you learned to control your tongue? Have you learned to do that? Have you learned to control your tongue? 
to, to think before you speak, right? Uh, to think things that are true and godly and holy, and then to speak things that are true and godly and holy. Have you learned how to communicate with others? You know, it is often uh, the case where when there are difficulties that arise within a relationship, people tend to just be quiet. They, they run away from their problems. They refuse to talk about it. And what I am saying is if that's what you're learning in your home now, in your relationship with your parents and your relationship with your siblings, if that is what you are learning to do with your friends, there's a, a problem that arises and you just become quiet, you just run away from them, this is going to be very detrimental to the marriage relationship. That sort of thing is not going to be healthy in the marriage, and so you need to learn how to communicate. Others, though, they do the opposite thing. When problems arise, they get angry, and they begin to be harsh with their tongues. They begin to be nasty with their words. We need to learn how to communicate well. We need to learn how to control our tongues. We need to learn how to work through conflict, even now, without sinning. This will be very, very beneficial in the marriage relationship in the future, if it be the Lord's will for you? And are you pursuing holiness and maturity in Christ in all that you do? Have you learned the way of Christ, which is to die to self and to live for others? Have you learned that? Have you learned to do it, not in the marriage relationship, but in the whole of life? Have you learned the way of Christ, which is to die to self and to live for the good of others? Do you keep God's law? Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself? Or do you selfishly love yourself and live for your own pleasure? What I am saying is that these things, uh, holiness and maturity in Christ, in thought and in word and in deed, need to be cultivated, not after the wedding day, but well before it. And if these things are cultivated, if you are indeed mature in Christ, if you are indeed godly, then your marriage will be set down upon a very good and firm foundation. You'll have a good start for sure. And so maturity in Christ should be developed today. Um, I did want to speak very directly now to the teenagers and to the pre-teens who are amongst us. I, I know that some of you are thinking about marriage already. Uh, parents, if you don't think it's true, it is true, especially for the girls, I think. I'm no fool, right? I know how this goes. Uh, some of you, perhaps the girls in particular, ha- have thought about marriage. And what I am saying to you is that you need to start preparing for it now. And no, I am not talking about finding a spouse now, and I am not talking about planning the wedding day now. Girls, that is not what I'm referring to, right? I'm not talking about what should my dress look like, and what should the venue be, and what should we serve. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about you preparing yourself. You need to begin working on you uh, today, so that when the day comes, if the Lord wills, you are ready to be a good and godly husband, a good and godly wife. So how do you do that? How do you prepare? Well, do you know Christ? Are you trusting in Him? Is He your first love? Do you love Him more than anything else? This is how you begin to prepare. You prepare your heart, that God has the proper place even in your heart. Do you know God's Word? Do you have it in your heart? Do you read it for yourselves? This is something I want to ask our young people, our teenagers. Are you reading God's Word for yourself? You're old enough to do so. Do you have the habit of opening God's Word up on a daily basis, even if it's just a little bit, reading a proverb or a psalm, reading something in the New Testament? Are you reading God's Word for yourself? Do you pay attention when it is read to you and when it is preached on the Lord's Day? Or are 
you just kind of drifting with your thoughts? Pay attention to God's Word. Do you then work to put it into practice? You know what the Scriptures say concerning the person who listens to God's Word and then doesn't put it into practice. They're called a fool. Uh, they are like a person who look in a mirror for a moment and then turn around and immediately forget what they look like. But instead, what are we to do? We're to look into God's Word uh, as if it were a mirror and we're to examine it carefully and we're to examine our own lives and then we're to walk away from it and we're to say, what should I now do? What should I now do? This is what pursuing maturity in Christ looks like. We, we look to God's Word and then we seek to apply it to our lives. Uh, mature in godly husbands and wives know God's Word and they seek to obey it in the whole, in the whole of life. I might ask the, the young people amongst us even now, do you pray? Do you have a prayer life? You're old enough to have a prayer life. Indeed, even little tiny ones are old enough to have a prayer life. It might not be very complex, but do you pray? Do you have a habit of coming before your God and crying out to Him with the desires of your heart? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Are you able to recite it from memory? Are you able to pray through the categories that are presented there? You're not too young. Uh, The time is now. If you are 13, 14, 15 years old, uh, you're going to be an adult before you know it. It's only a few years off. I might also ask you this question. Do you know how to love others? Do you know how to love others? If you do not know how to love others now, why would you think that you will be able to love your husband or wife after you are married? Do you think it will just kind of magically happen that you will be transformed from a selfish person to a selfless person? on the wedding day, because the pastor will say some words and sprinkle something over you. I don't know. It's not how it works. If we are selfish people prior to the wedding day, we are going to be selfish people in the marriage, and things will not go well if that is the case. Are you able to love others now? And what does it mean to love others? It involves you dying to yourself and doing good for someone else. Naturally, what are we because of our sin? We are selfish. We love to live for ourselves. But what are we to be in Christ Jesus? We're to be selfless. We're to be like Christ, where we are willing to lay down our lives for the good of others. And so, I want to tell you what it looks like for a young man or a young woman to be well prepared for marriage. This is what it looks like to me. When I see a young person notice a pile of dishes in the sink and begin to wash those dishes with a good attitude and without being asked, That is a sign of maturity to me. That is an indicator that this one has learned the joy of serving others instead of the misery of living for oneself. It might seem like such a silly thing. How do I know that someone is well prepared for marriage? I bring up dishes, right? But think of it for a moment. Uh, This is what makes for a healthy and happy marriage when a husband and wife live for the good of the other, where a husband and wife are not selfish, but selfless, and they are able to serve one another day after day, moment after moment. And I am saying, you had better learn to do it now. And so there's a mess in the middle of the living room, and you look at your sibling, and what you think in your mind and heart is, I'm not going to do it, you're going to clean it up. And your sibling looks at you and says, I'm not going to do it. You're going to clean it up. And there you are brawling with one another over a, a silly mess in the, little, in the middle of the living room. If you bring that attitude into the marriage relationship, it's going to be a disaster. But if instead you learn how to love others, if you learn how to serve others, if you learn how to die to self and live for the good of, of others now, your marriage, should the Lord bless you with a marriage in the future, is going to have a very 
a good start. When I see a young man speak kindly to his siblings, even if they have been rude to him, I think that one is progressing in his sanctification. That one is pursuing maturity in Christ. That one has learned how to control his tongue. That one has learned how to die to self and live for the good of others. When I see a young woman who is able to work through conflict, not run from it or not be harsh and nasty in the midst of it, but to truly work through conflict, I think that one is well prepared for the marriage relationship. The problems that arise within marriage relationships are not produced by the marriage but they are produced by the sinfulness of those who are wed. Uh, The marriage relationship is simply the realm or the context in which the sinfulness of the husband's heart and the wife's heart are manifest. That little nugget right there was for everyone, by the way. Not just the preteens or the teens. Now think of it. How often do we say, I'm having marriage problems? You're not having marriage problems, you're having sin problems. That's what it is. You're having heart problems. Where where are these sin problems and these these heart problems being manifest? Where are they playing out? It's in the marriage relationship, but what is it? It's just that there's sin in the heart, either in the heart of the husband or in the heart of the wife or in both of their hearts, probably both. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the nastiness that arises out of the sinfulness of our hearts is being manifest in the marriage relationship. The problem is not the marriage, but it's the people who are wed. And so I would like you, everyone, to do this for just a moment. I want you to imagine a truly godly and mature Christian man and a truly godly and mature Christian woman. I'm saying, don't, don't imagine someone in particular, but just, just imagine it. The ideal Christian, you know, not perfect, but godly and mature. Imagine them. And now I want you to imagine that these two individuals are married. And now I want you to try to imagine that their, their marriage is bad. Can you do it? I did spend some time doing this when I was writing this. Godly man, godly woman, there they are joined together in the marriage bond. Now let me imagine that marriage being bad. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't imagine a situation in which that marriage would be described as as bad or or, or exceedingly difficult. Uh, Perfect, no, it will never be because we always struggle with sin. But but here I imagine a marriage where, where it is basically good. Why? Because the two people are godly. They are mature. It's difficult for me to imagine two godly and mature people having a terrible marriage. It's very difficult. I can imagine a difficult marriage if one is godly and mature and the other not. I can imagine a marriage being very difficult if both husband and wife are ungodly and immature. I can imagine all of that. But it is very difficult for me to imagine a marriage being anything less than good, even great, if indeed the husband and wife have both cultivated personal holiness and have a mature walk with Christ. Would you agree with me in this? Will their marriage be perfect? No. For even the godly among us are not perfect. Will there be room for growth in this marriage? Of course there will be. The godly and mature husband and wife will continually deepen in their understanding of God, of themselves, of one another, and of the marriage relationship. They're going to constantly grow. But if they are godly and mature, if they love God supremely, if they have learned to walk humbly before Him, if they know what it is to die to self and live for the good of others, if they have self-control in thought, word, and deed, then it is truly difficult to imagine their marriage relationship being anything other than good and ever improving. And so do you want a good marriage? 
I would say, first and foremost, cultivate personal holiness and maturity in Christ. This is the first thing we must do. We must learn to honor God in thought, in word, and in deed. We must learn to think His thoughts. We must learn to speak His truth in love. And we must also learn to do His law in the whole of life. And so heart transformation is the thing that is needed. Sanctification is needed. Maturity in Christ is needed. And all of this should be sought and cultivated well in advance of the wedding day. Sadly, I do believe that many do not realize how weak, immature, and self-centered they are until the marriage relationship is, is, is brought together and is used by God to reveal it. Uh, those of you who are married, you know this. You probably thought you were doing pretty good in Christ until you got married. And then all of a sudden you saw the Lord use that marriage relationship to bring out all of the nastiness that's deep within your heart, all of the selfishness that was there. Was it there before? Of course it was. You just didn't see it because there wasn't anybody to, to, to kind of bring it out, you know. But it was that one flesh union, that daily need to die to self and to live for the good of another. There it is, and you can't avoid it anymore. God does use the marriage relationship to sanctify His people. And I think we should rejoice in this. But wouldn't it be better to prepare for marriage by walking in humble submission to God and His Word, pursuing holiness and maturity in Christ prior to the marriage, so that we might enter into the union well-equipped. And what I would say to those of you who wish to marry in the future, do your future spouse a favor and pursue holiness in the whole of life, even now. How should a person prepare for marriage? Uh, First of all, pursue holiness and godliness in the whole of life. But secondly, it is important for you to know what you are looking for in a future spouse. It is important for you to know what you are looking for in a future spouse. I uh, recently read this little piece of advice in that book that I recommended to you earlier um, by Jim Neuheiser. He actually proposes that what people should do who are single and, and looking for a future spouse is to actually make a list. Uh, make a list that is uh, prioritized, you know, with the most important things being at the top and the least important things Uh, being at the bottom. And what I would want to say to you is that tall, dark, and handsome probably should not be at the top of the list, or tall, dark, and beautiful, whatever it may be. And and, and I am thankful to God that those three things were not at the top of Lindsay's list. Uh, I wouldn't have made the cut uh, at any level. Um, It is somewhat important that we be attracted to the person we will marry someday. I am not denying that. I'm not saying that that's unimportant. A bride and groom should be attracted to one another physically and and emotionally. And it's going to happen, right? Especially in our culture where marriages aren't arranged. You you find a spouse, you're going to marry someone that you're attracted to uh, physically and emotionally. Uh, But I would suggest to you that other things besides physical appearance and even compatibility, so-called compatibility, right? That's the thing right now. You have to be compatible. Uh, Good luck with that, you know? Uh, I think sometimes people appear to be compatible, then they get married, they realize they're not. And I think that's fine, actually. I think oftentimes the Lord does join together people who are different. After all, the husband is to complete the, the, the wife and the wife, the husband, and we are to strengthen one another uh, and be used by God to sanctify one another in re- relationship. But compatibility is, is overblown, I think. Um, but other things are more important than physical per- appearance and even compatibility. Uh, consider that many marriages throughout the world today are arranged marriages. That is still true throughout the world today. 
and consider that most marriages throughout history were arranged marriages where uh, the family would pick the bride for the groom and the groom for the bride. The family would be involved. Um, the dating thing that we do in our culture is really quite unusual when compared to the rest of the world and to historical practices. And what I would like to say is that these arranged marriages do work. I'm not exactly uh, advocating that we adopt the practice of arranged marriages. I will admit that uh, it sounds more appealing to me uh, the older my daughters get. Um, I'm not saying we should go back to it, but the point is that you, you know marriages can work. Marriages can work quite well, even if uh, physical appearance, attraction, you know, uh, uh, compatibility aren't at the very top of the list. You know, in an arranged marriage, it's not as if the husband can say, you know, it was love at first sight. Maybe they hadn't met each other before. In fact, there are biblical marriages uh, where the husband and wife didn't even know each other prior to the wedding day at all. Uh, and yet the marriage relationship worked. How could that be? There wasn't any spark there, you know? There, there, there wasn't physical attraction or emotional attraction there. How could that be? It's because really marriage, marriages, healthy marriages, are, are, are grounded on, on things more important than this, more substantial uh, than this. Uh, marriages can be very, very healthy even if the issue of physical or emotional attraction is not at the very top of the list, driving the relationship. In fact, think of how shallow and vain a relationship will be if physical and emotional attraction is the thing driving it. Think of how shallow that relationship really is. I'm, I'm marrying you because you are physically attractive, because you are beautiful. Wow. There's no substance there at all. It is far better to have other things, things of substance at the very top of our list, and to allow the issue of attraction and compatibility to round that list out, I think. And for the Christian, the thing that must be at the very top of the list is this question, are they in Christ? Are they in Christ? Are they united to Christ by faith? That should be the number one thing for the Christian. Are they a Christian? They must be a Christian. And this is not just the opinion or preference of your parents and your pastor uh, young people, but it's the very Word of God. This is what God's Word teaches. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, in chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, Paul warns Christians against being unequally yoked with unbelievers. Uh, the image is that of two oxen with a yoke across their back, you know, being used to, to plow a field. Uh, can you imagine uh, oxen being unequally yoked. You have one very strong oxen and one very weak one. Are you going to be able to plow a straight line if you have two oxen like that plowing side by side? No, the, the strong ox will overpower the weak one and you'll end up doing circles. And when a husband and wife are unequally yoked, I'm sure at times it feels as if you're doing circles. Here we are warned not to be unequally yoked. Or worse yet, can you imagine one oxen being yoked facing this way and the other being yoked facing that way, right? It's the image that Paul is using here. And he is saying, and this isn't just about marriage, mind you, but about all relationships, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. 
As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is so important for you to hear. If you hope to marry in the future, do not be unequally yoked with nonbelievers. This applies to to many relationships, any relationship really. Uh, It it is unwise for you, for example, to enter into a business contract with an unbeliever. You have certain values, but he may have values that differ significantly from you. Uh, Do not be unequally yoked. But what what relationship is more significant and uh, profound than any other on planet Earth? It it is this marriage relationship where two individuals become one flesh. So this principle definitely applies. I know how this works for young people in their foolishness. Uh, perhaps at the very top of their list is uh, tall, dark, and handsome. And they fall in love with someone who is indeed tall, dark, and handsome. Uh, in other words, physically attractive to them. Uh, but really, they do not have faith in Christ. But they go ahead and they marry that one. And now they're joined together in life as one. And they're seeking to live life together. They're seeking to uh, raise children together and to establish a household together. Can you imagine doing that if the two are not on the same page in regard to life's most important questions? Uh, Can a marriage work and can a marriage uh, be healthy uh, even where there is a situation where husband and wife are unequally yoked? Yes, I think so, because Paul in other places does say to the Christian who finds himself married to the non-believer, stay there in that marriage relationship. How do you know if you will not save your spouse? Uh, by being faithful to them. But preferably, uh, we should choose to marry in the Lord. In fact, that is the language that Paul does use uh, in reference to the marriage relationship, that if we are to marry, we are to marry in the Lord. Uh, Listen to 1 Corinthians 7.39. Paul says, A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married To whom she wishes, Paul says. So, marriage is to last for life. If if the husband dies, the wife is free to remarry. Whomever she wishes, with this one qualifier, only, Paul says, in the Lord. Paul says that she is to marry in the Lord. In other words, she is to marry another Christian, another believer. Um, And again, in Matthew 7.20, we have uh, this warning, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And the reason I am mentioning that here at this time is because it is important to say, you are to marry someone who is truly in the Lord, not just someone who says they are in the Lord. Um, I know how tempting this can be. Uh, You see someone uh, that's attractive to you. And you have at the very top of your list, Christian, they must be a Christian. And they find out about that requirement. Now, all of a sudden, because they're attracted to you, how easy it is for them to say these words, I'm a Christian too, right? It's important for me that you be in the Lord. Are you in the Lord? Are you united to Christ by faith? Do I need to be? Yeah, you do need to be. Okay, then I am. So what I am saying is that A requirement here is not that they say they are in Christ, but that they are truly in Christ, that they are truly in the Lord. And how do we know? Well, truth be told, we do not have the ability to judge the hearts of men, uh, but we should recognize that if someone is truly in Christ, there will be evidence for it. There will be evidence for it. You will recognize them by their fruits, Jesus says. In other words, you will recognize a true Christian by the way they live their life. So if the person says, I am in Christ... And yet, they're using foul language constantly. 
maybe you should think to yourself, perhaps they're not. If the person says, I am in Christ, and yet they mistreat others, perhaps you should stop and think, though they confess Jesus with their mouth, maybe their hearts are far from Him. And though they confess to be in Christ, if they are lying all the time, or if they are pressing you to do inappropriate and sinful things, perhaps you should think, maybe they are not truly in Christ, for a Christian would not truly live this way. Some do come to faith after marriage, and they do find themselves a believer married to a non-believer. That does happen, and in such instances the Christian should remain in that marriage. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? 1 Corinthians 7.16. But here we are talking about entering into marriage. For the Christian... Uh, that the future spouse be a Christian and and truly a Christian must be at the very top of their list. And from there, the list uh, should have things that have to do with maturity in Christ. We should seek to find someone who is sound in doctrine and faithful in his or her way of life. And what I am saying to those who wish to marry in the future is this, be patient. Be patient. Have your list that the be in Christ needs to be at the top of it, and then things having to do with maturity in Christ need to flow from there, and at the very bottom, tall, dark, and handsome, that's fine. Um, but if that must be on your list, I will say good luck to you. Uh, I'm not saying that such a creature does not exist, only that you should take great care in forming your list, and, and that you need to be patient until the Lord re- does provide a Christian man or a Christian woman for you to marry. Know what you are looking for in a future spouse. Thirdly and lastly, may I encourage you to approach dating relationships and engagement in a godly way. Approach dating relationships and engagement in a godly way. Another way to say this is that a Christian should approach dating relationships and engagement in a way that is consistent with our faith in general and our view of marriage in particular. Uh, to those who are pre-adults, I, I do also need to say, respect your parents in this manner. I do know that different families have different expectations for, for dating relationships. Uh, remember that your parents do have experiences and wisdom that you do not have, and so honor them in, in regard to the guidelines that they have set for you. Um, but we do need to approach dating and engagement in a godly way. Uh, there are some who would uh, propose that we not date at all, but that we pursue a courtship that we pursue courtship, which is a different kind or a different approach uh, to dating, I think, one that is more intentional, one that has the view of marriage embedded within it. Um, There are also some who will say, well, we should not have engagements as Christians, but we should have betrothals. Uh, After all, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, uh, right? And so we do see that that thing in in the scriptures mentioned. Uh, Not engagement, but betrothals. And truth be told, I don't care what you call it. But we are to engage these things, whether we call it dating or courtship or whether, whether we call it engagement or betrothal. We're, we're to engage these things in a very godly way. And so when we date, right, we should maintain sexual purity. Uh, we know that the scriptures teach that the act of sex is to be reserved only for the marriage relationship. And so we are to abstain uh, from these things in the dating relationship. We should be very careful not to go too far physically, but we should reserve these intimate things for uh, your husband or wife in the future. It's very important that you do this. We should also maintain emotional purity. I think it is possible for young people in particular to grow too attached emotionally to someone. 
attached emotionally to them in the way that you probably should only be attached to a husband or wife. Uh, We need to maintain emotional purity. In the dating relationship, we should, I think, be establishing friendships, um, and we should learn how to interact with uh, people of the opposite sex. But we must maintain sexual and emotional purity in our relationships. And then also recognize that you are developing relational habits in your dating relationships. Uh, Again, it is not as if something magical happens when you say your vows and all of a sudden you become a person that you were not before because you're now married. Uh, The truth be told is that we, we develop certain traits and characteristics and habits even in our dating relationships. So if we are learning to be nasty to one another when we talk, when we're dating, we're probably going to be that way when we're married. Or if we're learning to be unfaithful in our dating relationships, you know, deciding that you're going to go out with someone and then two weeks later turning your back on that person and and you have that kind of habit. Uh, You're developing the habit of unfaithfulness. And we should be careful in these matters. We are developing relational habits always in our dating relationships. And so what I would say to you is that you should date or court, whatever you call it, with a view towards marriage, with this idea that someday I'm going to get married and so what I am doing now needs to be in preparation for that. And the same sort of thing can be said concerning engagement or betrothal. Um, We should remember that engaged people are not married people. There is a difference. Even if you are sure that you are going to marry this one that you are engaged to, you are not married yet. And so the one who is engaged, I would also say, maintain sexual purity, save that act for the marriage relationship. Also, it is common in our culture, very common now. In fact, we are probably looked at as uh, freaks in our culture uh, when we say that cohabitation is not appropriate prior to the marriage uh, relationship. It is very common now for uh, a man and a woman to, to, to cohabitate, to come together and to live in the same uh, place prior to uh, getting married. And I think the thing that they do is they reason this way. Well, we need to take it for a test drive, right? We need to see if, in fact, we are compatible, if we can live together. Uh, Statistics actually show that marriages where that takes place beforehand usually don't go so well. In fact, it is much better to to maintain purity, uh, both relational and sexual purity, prior to the marriage relationship, and to begin to cultivate holiness and godliness, trusting that the Lord is going to enable you to love one another in Christ Jesus after uh, the wedding day. Uh, Lastly, I will say this to those who are engaged Engaged people should be preparing not for the wedding day, but especially for the marriage relationship. I think one of the benefits of an engagement period is that it does give a man and a woman time to focus on things particular to the marriage relationship. Pursue holiness and godliness always. But yes, let's talk specifically about the roles of husband and wife and some of the challenges that do arise in the marriage relationship. And that can be done during a period of engagement. Is it important to plan for the wedding day? Yeah, it is. It's a pretty big moment. I think it is right for us to um, put effort into our uh, wedding ceremonies, no doubt. Uh, There is this pressure, though, within our culture to spend lots and lots and lots of money on a wedding. I I wonder if that is wise, if we cannot have weddings that are more simple, more God-honoring, still reverent, though, and significant for the bride and groom who are entering into the marriage bonds. And so let us pursue dating and and engagement in a godly way. Uh, That is my appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Uh, Friends, I do hope that you see why this is important to state from the pulpit. 
Uh, I do understand that many of you who are already married might think, man, this was not for me. But, but it is, isn't it? Isn't it a good reminder, in fact, that in Christ Jesus we are to live holy before Him as individuals and also we are to live holy before Him as married couples? Uh, the problems that we have in our marriage relationships, they are the result of sin, friends. So don't blame the marriage, don't blame the spouse, but look to yourself and say, you know, is this trouble because of me? Because of something sinful in my own heart? Uh, May the Lord sanctify us always as His people, and may He even use uh, the marriage relationship to do so. Let us bow together for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the marriage relationship. We are thankful for what it signifies, uh, our union with with you, Christ, our union with God through faith in Christ, uh, the covenantal bond that does exist there. We thank you for that beautiful picture. And God, our prayer throughout this uh, series within a series is that you would bless our marriages, Lord. Bless those who are married now. Uh, Father, may their marriages thrive to the glory of God but also bless those who will marry in the future. May they prepare well now. I pray for our young people, and we are blessed with so many of them in this church, Lord, uh, that they would know Christ today, that they would recognize their sin, and that they would call out to you, God, through Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and that they would pursue maturity in Christ, Lord. I pray that they would not be complacent, uh, but that they would see that today they need to prepare for marriage and they need to prepare for adulthood, Lord. So sanctify them, we pray. May they know your word May you convict them of their sin. May they seek to live holy in the home uh, and in in whatever other realm they find themselves in. Lord, uh, do a work within them, we pray. Uh, God, we thank you for your love and concern for us that you do always uh, refine us. It is not always pleasant, Lord, but we thank you because you know you do it out of your great love for us. Help us now, we pray, in Christ Jesus' name and all of God's people say, Amen.